Father, we love you. God, we're so grateful for our time together that we can just hear from you. And so, Lord, I pray that you would work in our lives and our hearts and our minds, God, that you would help us in this moment to remove distractions that, Lord, we have that we've showed up with. Lord, the distractions of things that are just going on in our life, the the financial distractions, God, the relationship distractions, the, the things, the stuff, the desires, the wants. God, all the distractions that we face, God, remove them so we can hear a clear and challenging word from you today. Thank you for your word. To you be glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen. We are so glad that you're here, and uh, I'm going to actually start this morning. I want to ask you a few questions. Um, I call this the interactive time of the worship service because I want you to interact. I don't want you to just sit there. I know some of you enjoy sitting there, but I want you to answer these questions, and you're going to answer simply by raising your hand um, as I ask the questions. But here's, here's the deal. You, you need to look to the person that you drove here with or maybe to the person to your right or to your left and you need to say these things. So just get ready. Look to that person and just say, you look really good today. Come on. That's good. Right? Now you need to look at this person, same person, and say, I'm going to answer these questions truthfully. Say it. Y'all don't know what's coming, so every one of you is a little reluctant to say that. And now after you said that, you need to look at that person and say, so don't judge me. There you go. Okay. Let's start out just with some questions this morning. So here you go. I want you to raise your hand if you've ever lied to get something you wanted. Raise your hand if you've ever lied to get something you want. Look around the room. Look around. There you go. All right. Yep. Yep. That's good. Now... Raise your hand if you've ever lied to try to get out of trouble. Raise your hand if you've ever lied to try to get out of trouble. That's good. Some of you aren't being very honest this morning. Some of you are lying about lying. Raise your hand if you've ever cheated because you didn't prepare, you didn't plan. Raise your hand if you've ever cheated because you didn't prepare or didn't plan. Students, don't look around the room. Don't look around the room. Raise your hand. If you've ever cheated in order to win a game. Some of you are a little reluctant, so let me unpack this for a minute. I've got a nine-year-old who's pretty smart, and I will cheat to win when I play games with her. Hopefully they don't have this on in children's church over there. Now some of you, you didn't want to raise your hand on that. If you've ever cheated in order, I mean, I'm talking Monopoly, I'm talking the game of life. I'm talking Uno. I'm talking whatever it is that you play, Scrabble, whatever it is. No, that, that's a real word. That's a real word. Triple word score. I got it. That's what I mean. So let's try that again. Raise your hand if you've ever cheated to win a game. That's a little better. Some of you are still holding out, but I still think you're lying about it. Getting a little, kind of a little deeper. Raise your hand if you've ever stolen something from a store. Raise your hand if you've ever stolen. Now, let me unpack this because I think some of you are lying. That means if you ever went to the store and you found that something made its way into the cart and you made it out of the store with that something and you didn't go back and pay for it, 
That's called stealing from a store. So you just might just kind of wanted to let be real clear. You may not have done like I've done and just stick something in your pocket. I'm man enough to admit I've done that before. I'm trying to make sure there's this statue of limitations on that one, uh, you know. <laughs> Raise your hand if you've ever stolen something from a friend of yours. All right, time out, time out, time. <laughs> Let's unpack that one. What I mean, if you've ever borrowed a book you haven't returned. If you've ever borrowed a tool that you never return, if you ever just went into somebody's house, maybe just stuck something in your purse, I don't know. But I guarantee more than 10 of you have stolen something from a friend of yours. Because I bet there's 10, I go back to this all the time, there's 10 of you that have books of mine. (laughs) And I don't have them back yet. Raise your hand if you've ever judged judged someone based upon the clothes that they're wearing. Kind of gets a little more personal. We think it's okay to lie and cheat in games, but judging someone because of the clothes they're wearing, or in some cases not wearing. Raise your hand if you've ever thought that you could do something better than the person that was doing it. You guys are a bunch of sinners. You guys all claim to be Christ followers, too. That's shocking that you would live life this way. What you realize is all of us have stuff going on. Now, some of the things you maybe raised your hand about, you didn't do like yesterday. But some of you, maybe you did. You may not have lied, you may not have cheated, but maybe yesterday you judged someone based upon the clothes they were. Maybe yesterday you thought when somebody else was doing something, you're like, I can do that better. I can do that better than they could do it. You see, that's at play in all of our lives. And what it really boils down to in all of our lives is what I consider to be the condition of man's heart. And what I, when I really look at it, and we're going to look at um, Genesis chapter 11 today, and looking at the condition of man's heart, if you want to turn there, you begin to realize that the condition of your heart controls your life. The condition of your heart controls your life. Now, what, what you begin to ask yourself, so what's the condition of my heart? And what you really, if you would begin to take inventory, maybe of some of the questions that I asked you, maybe inventory of how you treat other people, maybe inventory of how you talk to um, those that are um, in leadership over you, maybe those in authority over you, your bosses or those types of people, maybe how you complain about things when you get home. Um, those, Those things reveal the condition of your heart. And the condition of your heart will control your life. And in Genesis chapter 11, what you're going to see is that there was a condition of the heart of the people on the plain of Shinar. It's, it's Babel. Okay, I know you've probably already jumped there. But there's this people on the plain of Shinar, and there's something in their heart that's controlling what they're doing. There's something in their heart that's controlling what they want to accomplish. There's something in their heart that's taken hold. There's a condition there. That needs to be changed. And you begin to realize that as you, as you continue to go through Scripture, that that's one of the biggest problems in all of Scripture, is the condition 
of our hearts. And the condition of your heart as you live life forces you to lie and forces you to cheat and forces you to steal and forces you to maybe whatever those things are that you might do in your life. It's the condition of your heart that you've got to get back to. So what's wrong with my heart? What's wrong with me that I need to deal with, that I need to deal with now? And that's what the people on the planet of Shinar were dealing with. So um, Genesis chapter 11, let's read verses 1 through 9. Now, the whole earth used the same language and the same words. It came about as they journeyed east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. So they're journeying east. They find this nice area and they think this is a really good spot. Let's go ahead and settle here. Let's establish ourselves here. Let's stop journeying and let's be here. It, we, the joke years ago, years ago, I remember driving to Atlanta. I was probably a teenager, and we were going to see um, the, the big Easter production at First Baptist Atlanta. This is years ago. And I just remember hearing some people talking, some of the adults that we were riding with were talking about how funny it was that with Atlanta, you got to this place where they found this really nice spot, and they built this really big city right there in Atlanta. And that's kind of what you're talking about with the plain of Shinar. They got to this place that looked really good, so let's just stop here, and let's build this city. Let's settle here. Then they said to one another, uh, verse 3, come, let us make bricks and burned them thoroughly, and they used brick for stone, and they used tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven, and let us make for ourselves a name. You might want to underline that part. Um, Otherwise, we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have, they all have the same language. And this is what they will, began to do. And now nothing they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, verse 7, and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth, and they stopped building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel. Because there the Lord confused the language of the whole earth. And from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of the whole earth. And what you see in this passage is you see the condition of their heart is controlling what they're doing. It's controlling their life. Now, what you also have to realize is that the condition of their heart, the condition of their heart, their heart was full of pride. Their heart was full of pride. And it's on that that I, I want to talk this morning just about our lives, continuing going through this passage and talking about how pride affects us, how pride impacts us in our life, and how we need to deal with it as we go through our life. Because pride is a terrible thing. Pride is a terrible thing. It will eat at us, and it will destroy us, and it will destroy relationships, and it will destroy even people that we don't know. It will destroy organizations. It will destroy churches. Pride is a great tool in the hands of the enemy, and it can cause great destruction to people around us. Now, the reality of it is a lot of times in our life is we don't realize when pride is there. We don't realize it. 
So let's talk about a couple of things about pride in particular that, that you can see actually in the context of this passage. And the first one is this, pride becomes a slippery slope. Pride becomes a slippery slope. If you, if you looked at Genesis chapter 11, you look at that, what, what, the way that they start out doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal. The way that they start out in their life and the way that they start out, they get to the plane, doesn't think like that's a big deal to settle there. Doesn't, you know, you're reading it and you're like, what's the big deal? And it's not until the part where they, they say they want to build a tower which reaches into the heavens that we start to think, now this is a really big deal. The problem is it's only nine verses of the Bible. And so because it's only nine verses, a lot of times we have a tendency just to skip over it and just don't pick out the details. But when you realize that pride in, in this story and in your life, it, it can become a slippery slope. Sometimes it happens quickly. Sometimes it takes a really long time to unfold. But when you start moving, it, it's just like that's one thing after another. You ever lined up dominoes? Right? You ever line them up? Some of you do this at home just for fun. You just stack them up, you know, and then you want to see, you want to hit the one, and it's shh, and you're making a pattern and stuff. That's kind of the way that pride takes a hold in our life. It starts, and then it just sort of weaves its way through a lot of other areas of our life if left unchecked. And it's something that we need to deal with. And because it's a slippery slope, there's a couple other things that you've got to realize with that. One is that because it's a slippery slope, um, what's wrong in your life, it, it may not be evident at the very beginning. It may not be evident. As you're dealing with pride, or maybe you're living in pride, or maybe that's how you're doing things, the reality of it is it, it may not even be something that's evident at the very beginning. If you, Going back to the story, it, you realize, I'm going to settle here, let's start making bricks. Who knows how long that passes? You know what I'm saying? They start making bricks, and maybe they realize that they're really good at it. And they think, wow, we're really good at this. Let's do something else. Let's build a city. Wow, that'd be really cool. Let's do it. And then they're going to, let's build a tower into the heavens. Okay. And it's like there's these little steps. This slippery slope took place. But the way it was at the beginning, it it may not have been evident that there was an issue with pride. And for a lot of us in our lives, we live in relationship with other people that we don't realize that we have a pride issue. Because it hasn't been evident with us from the beginning. But maybe as one success led to another success that led to another success, and you start thinking, wow, maybe I really am something. As maybe you've built a business, maybe from the ground up, and you've established that business. It wasn't evident from the very beginning, but as that business made a little more money, and a little more money, and maybe came to have influence in the community. Then it, had, it gained a little more, and a little more, and a little more. It wasn't evident at the beginning, but there's a pride issue that can creep into that, and you've got to guard against it. Again, in that story of the plain of Shinar, the Tower of Babel, it's, it's this little bit, it's this little bit, it's this a little bit, and then it gives way to a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more with the end result in our life of we don't need God. The end result is we don't need God because, well, I've established a successful marriage. I've established, I've got good kids. I don't, by the way, but, you know. I've got a successful business. I'm just kidding about my kids. Smile. (laughs) I've built a successful business. And all of a sudden, it's like, 
We may not say it out loud. I don't need God. We may not even say it. We just start living life that way. Because pride wasn't evident at the beginning, and it's just crept its way into your life. The second thing is pride becomes a slippery slope is that pride might be a complete blind spot to you. You know, mirrors on your car, you know, the left or the right one says objects in me are closer than they appear. You got this one. And sometimes you're driving and things are in, in your blind spot. Have you ever heard that reference? And so maybe you're driving and you, and you try to check a little bit, but there's things, and pride is one of those things that can be completely in your blind spot. You may not even know that it's something that's very evident in your life. But there are others who know. And there are others who know that you battle with it. There are others who maybe are a little more standoffish around you because of the struggle that you have with pride. With With the people on the plain of Shinar in Genesis 11, when you look at it, come, let us build for ourselves a city and a tower whose top will reach into the heavens and let us make for ourselves a name. I mean, everybody's gathering around. All the people are rallying around at this point to try to accomplish what's being presented. And they're all like, yes, let's do it. It's a complete blind spot to them. They don't even see the things that they're doing are wrong. They don't even see the pride that's there. And in your life and in my life, we all have that kind of blind spot at different times. It's one of the big reasons in my life that I believe in in, in small groups. I believe in relational discipleship. It's one of the visions, a part of the vision piece that we're casting here in the church. I believe in those things because it's people like that that you're in close communion with, that you've empowered to speak truth into your life. And they're going to be the ones who are going to say, listen, this is a blind spot for you. You don't see this, and you don't see it coming, but you struggle with this, and in this case, it's pride. And because hopefully you have somebody in your life that's doing that, that you've empowered, that you've said, listen, speak truth into me. Speak truth. Hopefully you're a part of a small community. Hopefully you're a part of a small group somewhere, and you are doing life together, and you're having these types of conversations. I know some of you may not. Some of you may want to not get that to that level in your groups, but the reality of it is that's what we're talking about. Because you know what? It's more than just pride that becomes a blind spot in our lives. There are a lot of other things that become blind spots. One of the issues that also we face is that pride's going to keep you from getting into a group on that level. The pride is going to keep you from empowering somebody to speak truth in your life because you're going to go, I don't need that. Pride is going to keep you from investing in the life of somebody else because you want to know the reality of it is when you start doing that, it requires time and it requires energy and it requires effort. And again, I keep going, I I said it before, I'll go back to it again, that pride is one of the great tools of the enemy. And, And if he can get us thinking, I don't need that or I don't want to do that, I don't want to invest in that, I don't want to invest in somebody, I don't want to hear truth about what's wrong with my life, I don't want that, he's beginning to win in your life. Because you and I need to be aware of the blind spots. 
I'll give you a couple of examples. We were driving home on Wednesday from Atlanta. We had gone to a, a ministry conference up there, and we're merging outside of Atlanta from 675 onto 75. And uh, I, I don't really, I mean, normally I will check, but I kind of looked and thought, oh, nobody's behind me. And so sure enough, I started to merge over, and then just at the kind of the last second, I saw a car kind of, he saw me coming over, so he sped up so I would see him because he was in my blind spot. Now I stopped, you know, I didn't stop, but I just merged back into my lane. But if I hadn't, the results would have been disastrous if I hadn't saw, seen him at the last minute in my blind spot. Some of you have been in wrecks before because somebody was in your blind spot and you went to change lanes or you went to turn and you didn't see him. It's a blind spot. Years ago, I lived in Fort Worth, Texas, and um, I was finishing uh, one of my classes, and I headed back to my house, which was about 20 miles north. So I was headed north on the interstate, and I'm watching something unfold in my rearview mirror. I'm kind of looking at the mirror, and I'm watching as this big 18-wheeler is driving down the interstate. And there's a car sort of completely, they're both, I guess, in each other's blind spots, but the car cuts off the 18-wheeler. And I see the 18-wheeler doing everything he can to stop to the, to the place where that 18-wheeler jackknifes and starts sliding down the interstate. I'm watching this in my mirror. It's hard to pay attention to what's in front of you because I'm like, wow, that is, I can't believe I'm seeing it. It's like TV. It really was. But that, that truck jackknifed the car, never touched the car. The car just kept on going. Kept on going. And I'm watching this tractor trailer as he jackknifes in the road, keeps on, he's got momentum, he's doing 65, 70 miles an hour probably, and he starts rolling. And I'm watching it in my mirror. You see, in our blind spots, we leave kind of a path of destruction behind us sometimes. If we're not dealing with those things, pride becomes a blind spot to us. The plain of Shinar, Genesis 11, is a complete blind spot to them. Complete blind spot. Um, one of the last things in terms of pride being a slippery slope is that once you start, that's the whole idea of, of the slippery slope, is once you start moving in that direction, it's very hard to stop. Once you start moving in the direction of pride, it's very hard to stop. And one of the reasons that it's very hard is because, you know what? It makes us feel good. Pride makes us feel good. Pride kind of appeals to self. Pride kind of builds me up. Pride makes me want people to take notice of me. And sometimes it, it kind of fuels us. It fuels us and it fuels our ego and it fuels just our human nature. I mean, when you really get down to it, I mean, go back in Scripture, go back to the very beginning when God created man and he placed him in the garden and the serpent showed up and says, you can go ahead and eat of that tree. No, God didn't know what he was talking about. He just doesn't want you to be like him. Well, that sounds really good. So I'm going to eat of the fruit. And it becomes that slippery slope and it starts moving in that direction. And, well, we're here thousands and thousands and thousands of year late, years later still struggling with sin. Right? Slippery slope. And pride in your life becomes that. Now, here's why. One of the here's why. Because pride elevates self. Pride elevates self. You see, a lot of people, when they approach Genesis chapter 11, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, but you've probably heard for years about the Tower of Babel and people trying to build this tower to reach into the heavens. And that's true. They did that. But it's really what's next. 
That is so much of the indictment on what's going on. You see, yes, it's true that they were trying to reach the heavens. That's what they said. Let's build a city. Let's build a tower which reaches to the heavens. Two things to think about with that. One is, are they, they're trying to get to God, right? I mean, they're trying to build the system of religion, much like many of you have probably done in this room. You've got this system of religion, and you think, if I put these building blocks in place, then at the end of it all, I'm going to get to God. That's what they're thinking. We want to get into the heavens. Now, there's also, if you go back into ancient um, literature back then, you realize that there's also a system of religion in that time that taught that if you, if you, if you built the tower into the heavens, then the gods would come down. So there are two things at play there, but any way you look at it, it's about a, a system of religion in which you are trying to get to God, but it's what's next that really is what's going on with the Tower of Babel. It's at the end of verse, kind of the middle, the end of verse 4. Um, Let us make for ourselves a name. Let us make for ourselves a name. Let's build a city. Let's build a tower which reaches into the heavens. Let's make for ourselves a name so that we will not be scattered abroad the earth. A name. Pride elevates self. That's where they're at in this. Let's make for ourselves a name. We want people to notice us. We want people to see us. We want people to talk about how great we are and the acclaim that we might receive. We want to be noticed. And for a lot of us in our life, that, that's what it's about because three areas in this. Pride elevates self. And so we talk about self-preservation. Talk about self-preservation. Pride elevates self. And one of the biggest things about it is I want to be around. I want to pre- be preserved. That's what you're talking about with the people of the Tower of Babel. Self-preservation. We don't want to be scattered throughout the earth. And so we're going to kick into gear this idea of self-preservation preservation. It's, it's something you may not realize is so evident in all of our lives. That, that instinct of self-preservation, right? Now, let me, let me ask, do you remember being in, say, middle school, high school? Some of you are there now. Do you remember, for the rest of us who aren't there right now, middle school, high school, self-preservation? Think about it. When you were in that kind of age range, Sometimes little close groups of friends would form. Remember? You and your best friend. And then maybe there were one or two or three or four other people. They weren't as close as your best friend. But if it ever came about that you thought that you were going to be replaced as your best friend's best friend, you get that, tracking with that? If you thought you were ever going to be replaced as your best friend's best friend, what are you going to do? Well, self-preservation is going to kick in. I'm going to do whatever I got to do because I want to stay my best friend's my best friend. So I might start a rumor. I might say something bad. I might start making fun of other people. Self-preservation. Why? Because pride elevates self. Pride elevates self. It's about me. We do this all the time today, by the way. If you, in any of your circle of friends, spend a lot of time gossiping, (gasps) we don't talk about that. What are you doing? You're elevating self. Because that's what pride does. And self-preservation kicks in. The other thing about pride elevating self is self-exaltation. 
That's really, I mean, you get down, you drill down, you keep going into this. The people on the plain of Shinar, what they're talking about is elevate self. Let us build a city. Let us build a tower um, reaching into the heavens. Let us make for ourselves a name. Not let us make for ourselves a city anymore. Not let us make for ourselves a tower reaching into the heavens anymore. No, 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 no. Let us make for ourselves a name. And so what happens in our life, the second part of this this note here that didn't make it into your outline, is self-exaltation over God-glorification. Self-exaltation, look at me, preserve me, draw attention to me, right? Over, this is about him. Over, this is about God. It's about his work. It's about his name. It's about his renown. It's not about me. And we allow this to just slowly slip into our life. This idea of self-exaltation over God-glorification. It's one of those pieces where all of a sudden you might think that you've built a successful business or you were good at your job grow, uh, through the years and that you were able, you know, all of this. And a lot of the language that we just straight up use as we describe things is about self. It's about I did this, I accomplished this, I was successful, I built this great business. And, and the list goes on and on and on. And really what it boils down to is that we are promoting self. You know, in this economy and in our country, let's look at our country. I mean, a lot of what we talk about is how great the United States is. We talk about um, we're self-made people. We're living the American dream. All of those things are all about self. It's all about me, and it's all about what I can accomplish. It's all about, we talk about even America being the land of opportunity. What is that about? It's about self. And it's about self-exaltation. The economy crashes. And some people, they've, they've figured out a way for their company to survive in this difficult economy that we find ourselves in, supposedly. And in the midst of that, they think, well, I made these changes, and I restructured this, and I redid this, and I redid this, and I redid What is that? It's about self. It's about self. You know what the really beautiful story is in the midst of the bad economy for me? are the people that wound up losing everything and they're sitting there going, God brought me through every step of the way. But see, when we weather the storm ourselves and we think we're smart enough that we figured it out, self-exaltation kicks in. Hey, let's go make for ourselves a name. Scripture tells us, Isaiah 42, 8, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not share my glory with another or my praise to any idols. Pride gives way to self-exaltation. Here's your third part of this. When self-preservation and self-exaltation, give, it gives way to rebellion in your life. Rebellion. It's the word we don't like to throw out there very much. Right? But it's so true. You, you start feeding that ego and you start feeding yourself. And it gives way to rebellion because you think you can do whatever you want you think you can live however you want to live you think you can say whatever you want to say and there's not going to be any consequences in your life and i and i just want to caution you as we continue moving through this genesis 11 piece is that there are going to be consequences it may not be today and it may not be tomorrow because just as pride 
took some time to get a foothold in your life, potentially, the consequences unfolding in your life might take some time. But it leads to rebellion. It leads to rebellion. And it's that that subtle shift in your thinking where it goes from this is about God to all of a sudden it being about you. And that's dangerous. That is very dangerous. And then you start slowly living life a little more for yourself and a little more for yourself. And here's the next point. When you start doing that, you realize that pride precedes the fall. Right? I mean, that's, that's sort of that cliche statement that you have, pride goeth before the fall. It's true, but maybe you've heard it so often that you've forgotten about it. Because in Genesis chapter 11, what you see is this. Come, let us build for ourselves, back at verse 4, a city and a tower whose top will reach into heaven. And let us make for ourselves a name, otherwise we will be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. And I love this, verse 5. Pride precedes fall. Look at us. Look at what we've accomplished. Look at the great city. Look at the great tower. Look at the name that we have made for ourselves. We're going to be famous. God's going to notice us, and he's going to say, good job, I'm so proud of you. We've impressed him. I mean, honestly, who else are they trying to impress when you really dig down into it? I mean, all of the people are on the plain of Shinar. So they're trying to impress him. In verse 5, I love this part. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Now, think about that for a minute. I love this because, one, it challenges what you think about God. Right? Because, see, if you've been in church your whole life, which probably many of us have, you've been in church your whole life, and you've been taught, God, you've even know the fancy words. I know that God is omnipotent, and I know he is omnipresent. And you know these things, and he is omniscient. But then you get to Genesis eleven five, and it starts to quit. You're kind of like, okay, if he's omnipresent and omnipotent and omniscient and all of those, which, by the way, that means he's, you know, omnipotent is all-powerful, omnipresent is everywhere all the time, omniscient is all-knowing, just in case you. But he says in verse 5, come, let us go down. Let us, he says, the Lord came down to see the city, the tower which the sons of man had built. He came down, which means you're like, wait a minute, I thought God was omnipresent. Uh, I thought he was all-knowing. I thought he was everywhere all the time. So I think a little bit it challenged us. This is what I want you to see out of it, though. Not to be challenged by it, but I want you to realize how s- insignificant your accomplishments outside of God really are. You see, what, you see what the language in there is? They're in verse 4 going, hey, look at us. Woo, pay attention. Pay attention. Built this city, and we've got this tower, and it's reaching into the heavens. We're going to make a great name for ourselves. God, stand up and take notice, would you? And it says that God had to come down. Let's go see this city. Because I am big God. 
let's go, let's go see this. It's in that language, you realize how insignificant what they had done was in the eyes of God. It wasn't a big deal. It's not like God was impressed with them. And sometimes I think in our lives, friends, we, we think we're so much more significant than we really are. Part of it's because we hear that all the time in our culture. You know, you're so important, and it, but in the grand scheme of things, how many people are on, on the earth right now? I, you're like a blip on the radar. You may not even be on the radar, honestly. But then you track all of human history, and it's like, where do we fit? And I think what you see in Genesis 11 is that when you're trying to build something for yourself, do you not understand that there's always somebody else that can build it better and do it better than you can? And when you're trying to make a name for yourself and draw attention to yourself and exalt yourself and try to preserve yourself, that it's not lasting? It's only the things that we do for God that are truly significant. It's only the things that we do in his name and for his glory and his name and his renown and his fame. Those are the things that are significant. You might build the greatest business in all of the world. That the, You might be Steve Jobs and Apple and have created that. But guess what? He died. He did. Now, Apple might live on, but it's a blip on the radar. And we've got to get to the place when we're dealing with pride, pride in self, because God's going to show up one day. And Scripture actually tells us that we're all going to be judged for our works, what we've accomplished, what we've done. And it's only the things that we've done in his name that are significant. That's it. But pride precedes the fall. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. Verse 5, the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have the same language. And this is what they began to do, and now nothing which they purpose to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language so that they will not understand one another's speech. You see, one of the things that they were afraid of from the very beginning is that they would have to do what God actually told them to do. You see, in their rebellion, they had not been fruitful and multiplied and filled the earth. No, what they did is they gathered at the plain of Shinar. And God says, no, that's not what I told you to do. I told you to go out. It's much like, actually, the example you see in Acts. A little side note. I mean, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, you will be my witnesses in all of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the world. Well, guess what? The disciples closest to Jesus, guess what they did? They hung out in Jerusalem. <laughs> really? And then they got this guy who was Saul, persecutor of the church, and then he was the catalyst. God says, you know what? If you're not going to take it to the ends of the earth, I got a guy. His name's Paul. Saul, I'm going to change this to Paul. And he's going to go to the ends of the earth. Don't live in rebellion and let your pride precede the fall. Whatever that looks like for you. Whatever that looks like for you. And we're all going to battle it. Here's, here's a couple things. God has a solution to our pride. And it's called the cross. We all deal with pride. 
You and I, we struggle with it. We battle with it. You battle it in your marriage. You battle it in your relationships. You battle it um, in the church. You battle it everywhere we go. We battle and we struggle against pride. For some of you, pride has torn apart your marriage. For some of you, pride has forced your kids to, to rebel against you. For some of you, pride has forced you to actually have a complete financial collapse. For some of you, um, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on as to what happens with pride in our life. It's huge, and the destruction can be disastrous, but God has a solution in our life for pride, and it's called the cross, and here's why. Two things. One is because the cross gives us a new heart. The cross gives us a new heart. When the condition of your heart controls your life, the problem that we face is that we need a new heart. We need something different in us because left to ourselves and outside of the work of Jesus Christ in your life, you and I are sinful, selfish, self-centered, and self-righteous people. We will live life for self. We will live life to exalt self. We will live life to preserve self. That will be what we do. And in your relationships with other people, that's how you will build your relationships, is to draw your attention to yourself. You will build relationships to make you feel good about yourself and to make you feel better about yourselves. And pride will keep you from taking your relationships to the next level where you are truly challenging one another to be better followers of Jesus Christ. That's what pride does. So we've got a serious problem because our heart's messed up. And the cross gives us a new heart. The Apostle Paul, writing in the New Testament, remember, remember the Apostle Paul, right? I mean, you remember this guy? He was the persecutor of the church. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees, a Jew of all Jews. He followed the law. As to the law, he was a, a, a zealot for the law. He was a keeper of the law. He followed the letter of the law. He was a model religious person, Right? The Apostle Paul, the model religious person. But he gets to this place where he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says, if any man is in Christ, if you're in Jesus, you're a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Behold, you're new. You're not who you were. You're still going to struggle with who you were. You're still going to struggle, but you're not that person anymore. That person sometimes boils to the surface, but you're not him. Paul, I guarantee he had to guard against becoming and going back to the law and trying to constantly be a keeper of the law like that. He had to go back to it. The cross gives you a new heart. It gives you a heart that you would seek after and know God. The cross gives you a new heart in which you actually understand the battle that you face with the old self. The, the cross gives you a new heart where you understand the battle that you have with pride. And you begin to wrestle through this. It's one of the great ways that I, I believe and I know at times I'm a Christian. I know we shouldn't ever doubt that, right? We're like, you should never doubt that. I, I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. And one of the reasons I know I'm saved is because I, I struggle with sin. And sin bothers me in my life. Not my life. It bothers me. And as the Spirit's convicting me of that, it bothers me. And it reminds me that I am His. I am His. The cross gives you a new heart. Second thing, the cross gives us a new weapon. You see, you're in a battle. 
You're in a battle every day. One of the biggest battles you will constantly face is pride. But the cross has given you a weapon. And here's, here's why, to me, the cross is so powerful. Remember that guy, the Apostle Paul, I was telling you about? <clears throat> Not only was he a Pharisee of Pharisees and the Jew of all Jews, and he was circumcised on the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin, and he listed all his criteria in Philippians 3. But in Philippians 2, this is the reason that I believe the cross is so, such a powerful weapon. Because in Philippians chapter 2, he gives us this amazing example of how Jesus was so humble. And he, and he starts out in Philippians chapter 2 and he starts talking to the church. Let this make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same, maintaining the same love, unity of spirit. And he goes through those things. But in verse 5, he changes it and he says, let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, though being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and became obedient to death. And there's some verses in between there that I skipped. Even death on a cross. And it's because Jesus modeled that for us that it becomes a weapon for us. Do you realize he's the son of God? Through him, everything has been made that has been made. Through Jesus, the whole world is held together. In him, the nations are but a footstool. And you think you're something? You see, if anybody had the right to say, I'm something, it was Jesus. But he modeled humility for us. And he came. His mission was to seek and to save the lost. His mission was to die on the cross that you might have a relationship with God the Father. So let's just stop letting pride get at us and leaving a wake of destruction behind us. And let's get to the place where we can stop going, let's make a city, let's build a tower, let's make a name for ourselves. Let's forget about all that and go, let's make much of God. Let's use the cross as a weapon so that in the midst of relationships or maybe in the midst of arguments that you might find yourself in, that maybe you just need to stop. You ever done that? You ever been in the middle of an argument and you just stopped? And not, I mean, not like, all right, let's stop, let's stop and pray. I don't, want to, I don't want you to over-spiritualize this, but there comes a point where, I mean, you might be in the midst of some things. You might be in the midst of saying things about people, about others. You might be in the midst of this wallowing and self-pity even. Maybe you should just stop and take inventory of your life. Maybe you should stop and look at the cross. find yourself judging other people to make yourself look better you, you, stop look at the cross you might find yourself in the middle of an argument where you want to assert your rightness i don't know if that's the word but i'm going to make it up where you want to assert how right you are no i'm right i'm going to hold on to this it's all about it's not about you 
stop and take inventory of the cross and make much of the name of Jesus. Who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Let's deal with pride. The Tower of Babel, yeah, they're trying to reach heaven. They're building this system of religion. But the reason they did it, because it was about them. Me, pride. So let's deal with it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Lord, we thank you for the struggle that we have as it shapes us. God, as you chisel away at the junk and the garbage and the things in our life. God, we all, we all wrestle with pride. But God, help us to make much of you and much of your name and your renown. You're so good and gracious in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me. We're going to sing great, great song as we close our time together called, My Jesus, I Love Thee. I Know Thou Art Mine. So let's sing together.